Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. And on today's main episode, we're going to be talking about the managerial madness going on across Europe. In part two, we're going to be joined by Manuel Viet, who is going to be talking to us about Julian Nagelsmann's departure at Bayern Munich and what comes next for them with Thomas Tuchel at the helm. Very excited for that one. But for now, it's just me and the main man, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Yeah, very good indeed. Pretty manic uh, weekend. Yeah, there's a lot of international football going on, but somehow domestic football still manages to overshadow everything. So that's the world that we live in most of the time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. This is this is the way of the world. I mean, look, there's been lots of movers and shakers, but the big news obviously this week is that Antonio Conte was relieved of his duties by Tottenham Hotspur late on Sunday night. Looks like they're going to go with an interim manager for the rest of the season. But I suppose the big question for us in this first part with Tottenham is what is life like for Tottenham Hotspur now after Antonio Conte has departed? Well, it can be good, but they've got to get it right first. Um, Tottenham standing in a moment now where they've parted ways with Conte. It came eight days after his tantrum in that press conference. Um, the writing was on the wall, obviously, as soon as he started saying the things that he said. Um, and now Christian Stellini is in charge, uh, as you say, looks like for the rest of the season with um, Ryan Mason. And given that Stellini is one of Conte's mates, I'm not 
expecting a major culture change here in the dressing room when the players return from international duty. Um, I understand why they might have gone down this path, considering he did okay while Conte um, was off ill. Um, and it gives them a bit of time here to to try and find the right man. But let's see um, how quickly they decide to move on with a permanent appointment. I'll be honest with you, the list of options is quite frankly ridiculous and this is quite hard to get wrong. But the managers that are available right now, or at least the managers in sight, are pretty impressive. I don't think it's that often that you get an opportunity like this. So, look, here we go. Levy looking for his... 12th manager I think in like 20 odd years so he's done a lot of this um his three main candidates as it stands are Julian Nagelsmann Mauricio Pochettino and Luis Enrico all available right now free agents on the market you can go and get them the other managers out of work right now that if you wanted you could go and talk to um there's Rafa Benitez out there there's Bielsa out there. There's Lucien Favre. There's Georges Sampaoli. There's Zinedine Zidane, if you want to go and have a conversation with him, see if he fancied it. Other managers that are actually linked with Tottenham, Oliver Glasner, um, Roberto De Zerbi, Ruben Amarim, Ange Postacoglu, Marco Silva. Thomas They're Frank. All... Thomas Frank. Um, Sergio Conceição, I think, was, was linked too. So there's a short list of about 15 managers, <laughs> a long list of managers that Tottenham can go and assess. They're all very good with varying degrees of suitability to the job that lies in hand now at Tottenham Hotspur. Now, as we say, Tottenham bought themselves a bit of time here. Uh, Stellini's at the wheel. But the truth is they should have a good idea by now of where they want to take things. Conte was seeing out his contract. It expires at the end of the season. It's been clear for the past couple of months they weren't going to keep him either way. So they've had time to start getting their heads around this. The most obvious person to come in is Mauricio Pochettino. Daniel Levy definitely likes him. It's really the case of other people within the setup, like Fabio Paratici, to convince him to be open-minded and to consider other candidates, that there are other people out there beyond Poch just returning to Tottenham. Now, that's complicated slightly because Paratici has this legal case which is taking up his time. He's now going through, I imagine, quite publicly over the next couple of days. Um, and at the moment, doesn't really seem to be doing too much profiling um, or having much public say anyway over how this is all opening up. Um, I've seen the point made that even in the wake of Conte's departure, there's nothing really said by Paratici in any of the statements. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and it might be that even more of the decision-making here falls onto Levy than might otherwise have been the case. In which case, you would imagine that Pochettino's chances of return grow. But also, if he was going to get Pochettino, he could just go and get him tomorrow. I'm pretty sure Poch would come back if you put the right package on the table in front of him right now. So it's very, very interesting. I am intrigued to hear what Manuel says on today's episode about the downfall of Bayern Munich under Nagelsmann and also to hear from him how quickly Tuchel was put in place as the new boss. Because whatever we hear today, what I already know for sure is that this was no fluke. There was a guy there they already had in mind to come in as a successor to Nagelsmann, wherever that was going to be. Spurs do not have a contingency place here uh, for Conte, despite the fact they've known for months they would need one. And sure, that is They've what... known for months they'd need one in the summer, though. That, that's slightly different. Not to... necessarily. Not necessarily. Why wait until the summer? Your season's fiddling, fizzling out. Uh, Harry Kane's got a decision to make on whether he's staying or going. Like These are big, big decisions. And Conte wasn't going to be the man beyond this season. So they, they had to be contemplating whether to end that early. They were. I know I know they were. It looked like they weren't going to, I agree. But then there was always the chance that Conte would come out with something like this that leaves his job untenable. Yeah. That's what he does, right? He's explosive character. So they had to partly expect that this would happen. And it has. And he's gone now. 
And they're left with, what, 10 games left of the season with an interim manager and saying they're just going to see things out. Let's see if they do that. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be intriguing to see if they if they come in. I mean, the difference here is if you wait to the summer, you probably make an approach for someone in a job. Or, or not necessarily, but, you know, the, the kind of flip of the different sides of it, I suppose, is if you're looking to appoint someone who's currently out of work, it makes no sense to wait until the end of the season. If you're going to appoint someone who's already in a job, waiting until the summer might make more plausibility in, in terms of actually getting that person in that they want. So Maybe, they've given yeah. themselves time to make that decision. As I say, Tottenham will be looking at top four, but that's the only thing really left alive for them over the course of this season. It's also going to be interesting to see what direction the club goes in, right? Because going back to a Pochettino is, is almost a stark moment where you go, all right, we tried to come out of that, it failed. It failed. We're throwing away, what, three years? throwing it away it's gone see ya goodbye and we're back to where we were three years ago now there's also the point that Tottenham is a very different club and Pochettino is a different manager from when they parted ways those are you know those are facts they're undisputable the fact that things have changed at Tottenham uh, and the the fact that Pochettino has had experiences in Paris which have almost certainly shaped him as a coach so coming back into this it's not going okay cool this will just absolutely 100% work again and there is always that feeling of never go back, isn't there? There is always that kind of sense of going back is usually a little bit uncomfortable and sometimes it doesn't work out and it can kind of ruin the way that people are perceived within a club. Mm. Now, sometimes it does. You think of Zidane at Real Madrid, sometimes it's fine, but sometimes it isn't. And actually, mm. I wonder if Pochettino will be waiting for the summer, especially with the Ancelotti kind of rumours flying around at Real Madrid that he might depart in the summer to take up that job with the Brazil national team, would they be looking at Pochettino? Because I'd I could argue the answer is probably yes. Maybe, I don't think Luis Enrique would probably walk in there, although it is worth mentioning that he played for both Real Madrid and Barcelona. Um, there are there are different elements to this, but who are Real Madrid going to look at this summer if Carlo Ancelotti decides that that time has, has come to a close or the Real Madrid board decides that that's going to come to a close? Are these coaches, and especially the ones currently out of work, going to wait and be like, mm, let's see what Real Madrid do before I commit to joining Tottenham? Well, I think that um, one thing we have to consider is while Nagelsmann will be interested in the Tottenham job and Tottenham are interested in Nagelsmann. And have been for a while, if I'm not mistaken, right? But he'll also have his eye on that Real Madrid situation. There's actually some really interesting quotes that came out literally like an hour um ago that I saw them anyway, uh, from when we started recording this. And the quotes actually came from a guy who is described as um, Nagelsmann's close friend and former youth team coach. His name is Ernst Tanner. And um, he was, you know, he was discussing the situation with Nagelsmann. And he says that the coaching market is tight, especially at the very top. And he says that German coaches are incredibly important abroad. He said, and Julian doesn't need to worry about his next job because there will always be different experiences and jobs that will appeal to him. And he says Real Madrid will definitely be an option again. Um, but in terms of language and interest, I see England as the next and logical step. Um, what he also goes on to say, though, we have known and trusted each other for 20 years. I would advise him to take a break first to reflect and not jump too quickly into the next shark tank. He needs time to regenerate. And I think that that's key here. Like, Tottenham fans would have loved to have seen um, the day after Nagelsmann loses his job at Bayern Munich to be announced as Tottenham boss or whatever. Um, it was very, you know, unrealistic that that would happen. And I'd imagine he will need a period of reflection now, but also to consider what his next step will be. He's still so young, right? He's still, he's obviously like going to be one of the best bosses, um, whatever he does next, but he's still so young. And he want to consider, I mean, I, I, I remember before there was this, discussion of him going to Tottenham and it was like well this is seen as the perfect club for him in terms of like just below the very elite and then the Bayern Munich job comes along quite unexpectedly I guess and he kind of has to take it in that moment and he yeah. goes for it um, but probably didn't expect that opportunity to come along as quickly as it did in his career and now he has to kind of reset and like do you go to Real Madrid like an even bigger club or do you just kind of look to do a project again and a bit of a push to get to make something special happen. And then once you prove that, then you go to that next level again. 
Yeah, yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. Obviously, there's the Premier League element of things. Uh, and you're talking about Luis Enrique here. We're talking about Nagelsmann. Pochettino, obviously, a different, a different case. But none of those have managed in the Premier League. We've seen Ruben Amorim linked before. This isn't the first time we've seen Amorim linked to, to Tottenham. And Conte Sal was someone you mentioned. None of them have any Premier League experience. Will Levy look to... Those managers who maybe are, you know, Deserbi is often touted here at Brighton as kind of doing a Pochettino with Southampton, right? And so instead of going back to Pochettino, does Levy go, you know, maybe I should bring in the next person on that level? Now, I think that to be perfectly honest with you, Deserbi is going to have offers in Italy. I'd imagine that there is going to be at least one offer this summer from one of the big Italian clubs, which might be too, too good to turn down, considering he'll feel like he has right wrongs to put right over there at least a point to prove but if they were going to go for that you know someone like a deserve or a thomas frank you know obviously it's a bit different with frank he's worked within a very very organized structure that's sorted out on a on a very very tight level tottenham feels a lot looser than that right now in terms of how they go about their business one of those two with premier league experience might appeal slightly more than maybe a, a bigger name on a higher wage who hasn't got that experience within the Premier League. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the Nagelsmann, Pochettino, um, Enrique sort of route is seems less risky because of the profile of them and oh, um, the experiences that they've had. Um, and De Zerbi, I think he'll probably want to consider, like, on the back of whatever happens with Brighton next, this season. I mean, they've they've got the potential to finish in the top 4 at the moment like they've got games in hand they've got good momentum they've got a real good thing going it's not beyond um the realms possibility. Of possibility yeah yeah that they finish fourth it's still unlikely but they could and at least they could get a a european place of some kind and you wonder if they do manage that you probably want to see that through and at least have a crack at, at what he can achieve on that level before he moves on he's he's obviously only new to that job anyway so is that to consider if Brighton missed out on all of it, maybe it becomes more tempting. Maybe then you think, right, okay, I, I did do a good job there. It was only a short amount of time. But these chances don't come along very often. And if I have a bad season with Brighton next season, might not come again for a while. So it, it's strange how these situations can fluctuate. Same as Thomas Frank. He's been linked with jobs uh, recently, um, well, the past year or so. Um, Brighton does, Brentford does seem like a good fit for him and what he's done so far. Uh at some point, he's going to have a decision to make and he'll have to be very, very selective about choosing the right moment and the right club to actually move on from Brentford and if he even wants to. Um, so it's it's all a very strange process. But um, yeah, it, it, it's intriguing, isn't it? It's interesting that these decisions are made and how they're made. But this Bayern Munich decision seems seems massive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right for what it's worth. I, I would be looking to... Your Enriques or or maybe an Amorim here. If I, if I was Tottenham, I think that Premier League experience is hugely overrated. I was just trying to get in Daniel Levy's head a little bit, try and work <laughs> out, try and work out exactly what he was thinking on on that regard. And we've seen Deserbi come in and perform miracles. And you know, it's not the it's not the first time we've seen a manager come in. Ten Hag was questioned, Deserbi was mm. questioned. They've both come in and done excellent jobs in the Premier League without needing that experience. So I don't think it's absolutely vital. I was just trying to work out what Levy might be thinking. But it's going to be very interesting to see what the next step is for Tottenham Hotspur. Right, after the break, we're going to be talking to Manuel Veit, who is going to be talking to us about Bayern Munich and the whole saga surrounding Nagelsmann and Thomas Tuchel's appointment. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. I'm delighted to say that we are joined by a very special guest in the form of Manuel Vietz. He's the man in charge of the North American aspects of transfer markets like you all know and love. He's a Bundesliga writer for Forbes, host of the Gagan Pressing podcast and also of the Unsackable podcast and many, many other things. Manuel, thank you so much for joining us on Ranks FC today. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's a real, real pleasure. We're going to be digging into the reasons behind Bayern's sacking of, of Julian Nagelsmann and mm. their subsequent appointment of Thomas Tuchel as head coach. But before we do that, and I know you have a ranking lined up for us, which I'm very excited about, what's the kind of general feeling around this manoeuvre, around the fan base of Bayern and also around German football as a whole? Because 
there was a sense, I think, that Nagelsmann was meant to be Bayern's long-term project manager. They obviously paid an absolute fortune, reportedly, to get him through the door. And yet, mm-hmm. sort of 18, 20 months in, that's all been canned. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a massive, massive, massive story in Germany, right? Um, it's a it was a surprise too that it happened um, at at a first glance, at least, right? I think a lot of people um, were surprised by the timing, were surprised by the decision, um, were but surprised that um, the club was um, so ruthless in the decision to bring in Thomas Tuchel for for Julian Nagelsmann, and as you said, you know sort of end a project that they only last week had Herbert Heiner on uh, German magazine Kicker. There was a big interview uh, where he said, this is a long-term project, right? And we we're still very much convinced by Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah. Um, so they, of course, this is very, very surprising to everyone. And this is such a big story. Um, you look at every newspaper in Germany and it's not just Bild, you know, Bild is obviously the one that's, um, the biggest in terms of or the shrillest even um having you know up to five headlines every day since the the change um just on Bayern Munich but even like Süddeutsche Spiegel all these other big newspapers they have many many stories on this and it's been headline news throughout the country because you know this is not just a coaching change this is them changing a project that they thought would be a long-term project and it's also them firing one of the most promising young coaches in European football, not just in German football, European football, right? Mm. And replacing him with Thomas Tuchel was a really, really big name himself, um, a Champions League winner, right, with Chelsea. So, yeah, it's it's a massive story. Yeah, it, it feels like one of those things that's going to kind of dominate European football for the rest of the mm-hmm. season, just looking at how Bayern come through this. But let's kind of get into the, the nuts and bolts of it. I know you've prepared five reasons mm-hmm. why they've decided to make this change. So I'm going to lay the floor up and uh, leave it to the expert. Yeah, so like the number one from for me was the inconsistent performances in the Bundesliga, right? Um, should we just go with one to five and then I'm going to go yeah, more in depth into it? Okay, so the number two is lack of development of young players uh, recently signed by the club. So not the ones that already were there. And then number three is what the Germans call Außendarstellung. So the outside appearances of Julian Nagelsmann and the way he conducted himself. Then number four, he's never managed to fully convince the dressing room. And then number five, and I think this is the biggest one, is Thomas Tuchel was available right now. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the five points that I had. You can rank them whichever way you want, <laughs> except for the number five, which is, I think, the biggest one, Thomas Tuchel was available right now. Okay. All right. Well, we'll finish with that then. We'll finish with, with the big gun. Let's start yeah. at, at the top with, with that inconsistency in the Bundesliga. Obviously, mm-hmm. Bayern currently at one point behind Borussia Dortmund in the table. Yeah. That's partly due to obviously BVB's run of form that's mm-hmm. kind of changed everything around. But it does feel like this is a kind of real low for Bayern in terms of points gained at the 25 game mark within the season. Well, and you have to remember, like, yeah, they were five points ahead um, going into the World Cup break, right? Now they are a point behind Borussia Dortmund. It's the sort of collapse that you usually see from other Bundesliga teams. And I think that's what really bothered Bayern Munich, uh, the bosses of Bayern Munich, Hassan Salihamidzic, the, the director of sport, and Oliver Kahn, the, the CEO, um, they were really upset on how the club lost points. The most recent example is against Bayer Leverkusen, where um, it looked like Julian Nagelsmann was outcoached by Javi Alonso, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that was just one example. There was also the result against Gladbach. Um, and then in the way... Julian Nagelsmann reacted to these results, um, sort of kind of dismissing it and not thinking, not really giving the impression that it was important. That I think really bothered the bosses and everyone, I see this across the, the, the news around Europe, everyone says, okay, well, he won eight out of eight in the Champions League and isn't that all that matters to Bayern Munich even because they have won 10 Bundesliga titles and it's like, I think people underestimate how important the Bundesliga title is for Bayern, yeah. right? This is how they define themselves as a club. And yeah, they have won 10 out of 10, but they would also like to win 11 out of 11, right? And for them, not winning the Bundesliga isn't acceptable. 
And so these performances really were a big part of why they said, okay, yeah, you've done great in the Champions League. You win won every game. You beat Inter, you beat Barca, you beat PSG convincingly, right? But you also have to do it day in, day out in the Bundesliga. And Nagelsmann just wasn't able to do it. Yeah, I mean, look, I um, I tweeted on the on the back of this, like if if Nagelsmann can't win the the league with with Bayern, what chance he got doing with Tottenham? And it was tongue in cheek, and and people didn't react very well to it. But it was a joke at the time, and, and the reason being, like the the form that Dortmund have found, mm-hmm. nobody could have imagined that they could go on a run like that on the back of the World Cup. And I think that like. That needed to be taken into consideration. I think most people would still consider that Bayern Munich would have won the league this season under Nagelsmann. And mm-hmm. Dortmund are going to have another dip in results, which will allow them to get their grip back. And look, they obviously play each other this, you know, coming up this weekend. And it's, it's yeah. a big match, which I'm sure he would have fancied himself to win. But I understand like the reasonings that are beyond this one point. But what do you think about that? Because... It, it it surely comes on the back of the fact that Dortmund have just set an unprecedented run of wins. That's correct, right? But they've also, Bayern Munich have also dropped points against Gladbach, against um, Leverkusen, um, against Augsburg, um, and then four games in a row in, in the Hinrunde, right? Um, and I think there would have been another wobble coming. Mm. Um, and I, you, I think there might be another wobble coming under Thomas Tuchel as well. Um, <laughs> exactly. The side just screams inconsistency, and I'm not 100% sure it's actually the coach. Um, there's a lot of star players in the squad that have been outstanding this year, um, but also have shown that they like to switch off. And that is... The bosses, of course, are saying, and you look at the, the press conference um, or the conferences or um, in Salihamidzic's case, the press conference and the, the show on Doppelpass, right? The big um, show on German football on Sunday um, on Sport 1, where he said, um, where they said things like, okay, this is the best squad that we've ever assembled and um, we expect them to win everything. So, yes, you're right. Um, you would imagine that they wouldn't would have won the Bundesliga under Nagelsmann, but um, I think there's actually a good chance that they wouldn't have. Um, look, they lose that game against Dortmund on Saturday. I'm not sure they're coming back from that because, yeah, Dortmund might have another wobble, but I'm pretty sure Bayern will have two. Now, we don't know if that's going to be any better under Thomas Tuchel, right? He has no time. Mm-hmm. He he himself said he won't see most of the squad until Friday because of the international break. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a very quick turnaround. And so I'm not sure Bayern Munich are going to be the team that's going to end up winning the Bundesliga this year. Um, I think this is the best chance that another team in the league had to win this title in a long, long time. And I think it remains the big question remains to be seen. Was that because of Nagelsmann or was it because of the squad the bosses have assembled? Yeah, I mean, you touched on it at the top there, Manuel, but in terms mm-hmm. of they've been excellent in Europe, these have been, you know, some of Bayern's best performances, I think, under yeah. Nagelsmann have come in, in European competition. We saw Niko Kovac sacked a couple of years back. Yes, mm-hmm. because they started the season badly, but also, you know, there was this sense, and I think there was a, a kind of prevailing sentiment at the time, that it was because, yes, they'd won the Bundesliga the season before, but they'd really failed to show up in Europe. Yeah. It, it really did kind of feel like that was a major factor. And the kind of flip of that now is that Bayern are cooking in Europe and having that wobble in mm-hmm. the league, you know, <laughs> unless unless it is Hansi Flick, unless it is your Pankers, you know, these have been coaches that are fine, been able to do both. But it hasn't been, I would say, a, a steady run of these things. It's been the, the the short and long of it has been one or the other at, at times it's felt like. Yeah. And Nagelsmann felt like his European Bayern, at the very least, were, were excellent. No, 100%. You, you're spot on there. Um, you know, we mentioned the teams that they have beaten this year in the Champions League. We're talking about some really good teams, right? And they convincingly beat them. Um, you have to remember the only team that has scored on them in, in Europe is Victoria Pilsen. <laughs> they had kept clean sheets twice against Inter. They kept clean sheets yeah. twice against Barcelona and clean sheets twice against PSG. I mean, this is that's very hard to do. And they did it almost, you know, easily. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
so you look at that and you're just like, well, what's going on here? But yeah, I, I, on the flip side, you have these other teams that are just have figured them out in one way or another. And that's, you know, sometimes how, how it goes um, in league football, the opponents just know you better. And they say, okay, if we press Bayern Munich the right way, if we um, attack them early, um, we could get something against them. And not just when we host them, but also away in the Allianz Arena, which is, I think, a big turnaround from where the Bundesliga was, um, even under Niko Kovac, right? Yep. Teams now believe that they can beat Bayern. And the Bayern bosses are not going to like that. I don't think it's going to change under Tuchel, personally, because the league has just gotten better. But I think it's also just something that bosses have to come to grips with, that maybe the squad that they built is a Champions League squad. It's perfectly designed. For Champions League, it's a perfect squad, right? Because they have players in there that just love to play on that big stage, but maybe are just not made for the, the daily grind. Um, and then, of course, they turn around and say, well, it's up to, to, to the head coach to ensure that they take a game in Leverkusen serious, um, which, you know, I guess the question is now, who was right? And we'll find out about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the next point, which mm-hmm. was about these new younger players. I yeah. imagine that, you know, the, the headline name here is going to be Matthias Tell, who was, who was brought in from Rennes for 20 mm-hmm. million euros, I believe it was. But uh, there's probably more to it than that as well. Yeah. Well, there's also Ryan Grafenberg, Grafenberg right? Yeah. For, yeah, from Ajax. Um, who has been extremely unhappy. Um, and for Bayern Munich, it was quite a coup for to get him. Um, and they were very proud to get him because he was high in high demand, right, um, around Europe. And they sort of sneaked in and signed him from Ajax. And Matisse Tell is the other one. Um, although I think he's he's been getting his minutes. We um, remember he's only 17 um, and yeah. players do need time. But... There has been sort of a feeling among the club that Bayern Munich gave Nagelsmann all these these players. And um, for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to get them to the next step of development. And it's not just the two that were signed. It's also some of the other younger players that are coming up. Paul Wanner is another example, right, who's coming out of the academy and has sort of been uh, moving back and forth on whether he's going to represent Austria or Germany. And um, now it looks like he's representing Germany, but there was a sort of sense that Nagelsmann maybe didn't give him enough time yet to play um, for Bayern, right? And there was opportunities when Bayern Munich were in, they had Bundesliga games where they were winning convincingly and he just didn't give the players enough time to play then. Um, and I think that is sort of where they said, okay, well, this isn't great. And another example is, and this has come out this week, is right. Everyone looks at Jama Musiala and how amazingly, how amazing his development has been this season and the season before. Where Bayern bosses see him as a Hansi Flick player. Yeah. And on top of that, it turns out, and you always have to take that with a grain of salt because it's built, but. Um, they, they released a list of players that were unhappy under Julian Nagelsmann and Jamal Musiala was one of them, which personally I thought was surprising. But yeah, considering his it, form. Yeah, considering his form. So if he if he was unhappy with Julian Nagelsmann, he's playing like that, what's going to happen if he has a coach that actually likes him? Um, but, like, you know, it kind of makes sense too because um, this, this, it seemed almost like Nagelsmann was a little bit reluctant at first to start him or give him the, the, the exact position that he wanted to play in. And so, you know, but that could have been one of those things where um, the, the club felt, okay, well, we have this amazing star that we want to extend his contract. And uh, maybe we, if he's unhappy with the coach, there's something that we need to do. Hmm. On, on the flip of that, I mean, obviously, Nagelsmann did get Sadio Mane, but he didn't get a replacement for Lewandowski that was a like-for-like. Yeah. Like. Could he not mm-hmm. throw that back at them and be like, well, we lost the guy that used to win you the league every year and all of those goals that he would deliver, and I yeah. had to make up for that? No, you're absolutely right. Um, and that's what Julian Nagelsmann camp is saying, right? That um, we lost Robert Lewandowski um, and you didn't give me the player that I wanted. And... Um, 
I wanted Harry Kane, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is, uh, it's quite public knowledge that this is the case. Um, mm. I was with Bayern Munich in the United States. I traveled with them when they were on that tour and Julian Nagelsmann said it at a, at a press conference before the Man City game that he would, really wanted Harry Kane. Yeah. And listen, that still could happen. Um, instead, they gave him Sadio Mane and he's like, here's this other star player. And then, you know, as a head coach, you can say, well, that's great. I already have five fingers, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. Um, and it, it, and you have to you have to also point out that despite all that, um, I did an article recently for the um, game pressing Substack that where I looked at whether Bayern Munich need Hurricane, and I, I looked at the amount of different goal scorers that they had this year. And last year they had four players that scored in the double digits. This year they have five. And uh, in the Bundesliga, they're only about they're only two goals behind last year's production. In the Champions oh, okay. League, it's a little bit lower, but so they also played um, the likes of Salzburg, who they scored seven against. Right? right? They um, put one more past Barcelona than last year. Um, they played Dynamo Kiev and Benfica, um, who weren't the same Benfica than this this year. So of course they scored more goals in the Champions League than last year mm-hmm. than this year, right? Yeah. So, um, in terms of production, then Nagelsmann could very well turn around and said, "Like you, you took away Lewandowski from me, and I still managed to have the same goal scoring output out of this team than I had last year." Or, well, I'm two goals short, I guess, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's quite remarkable, and um, I got I turned Jubu Moting into a world class striker. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is yeah insane to think about, but it's true. And um, I think that is where the Nagelsmann camp is very much going to turn around and say, "You took away the best number nine in the world, and the squad is performing the same way that it did last year." Yeah, I mean, part of me thinks that Nagelsmann kind of would have bought into the concept of losing Lewandowski, and that obviously his mm-hmm. Leipzig team loved sharing goals around. And then you looked at this Bayern team this year and you went, yeah, they're turning into a Nagelsmann team because these goals, as you say, the the increase in players in double digits, the the, the way that the goals have been split amongst yeah. this team feels much more like a Nagelsmann, you know, in inverted commas, style mm. to, to me. But I, I think the kind of other point on this is that it seems like a tricky one to balance this lack of development of, of young players at a club that demands immediate results on the pitch, right? Surely it's yeah. tricky to ingratiate those players when inconsistency in terms of results is the first port of call that we've just talked about for someone to be yeah. fired. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's a really hard balance and this is why there's always two sides to every story, right? The Bayern side will say, um, well, he didn't develop these players and the Nagelsmann camp will say, well, you're demanding from me to win every single game convincingly. In every competition that we are in, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how it, it, it's a fine line. Coaches, in the end of the day, in Germany, um, coaches don't build the squad. It's the this, the the sporting director, or in this case, the director of sport, which is small distinction uh, because Hassan sits on the uh, on the board, right? Um, uh, they built the team for for the the coach and say, here you go. It's not like in England where the manager. Has, has a huge amount of influence, right? Although I guess that's changing, but in Germany, that's always been the case. They, they, the squad is sort of given to the coach and the coach has maybe one or two dream players that he can sign. Um, yeah. And then the club tries to go out and get them. But often case, there's very little input. And, um, you know, the Nagelsmann camp can very much say, look, you gave me the squad. And um, you subtracted one of my best players and I still managed to perform. And I, I didn't sign Leroy Sané or Serge Gnabry, um, you know, players that, yes, they have been scoring a lot of goals, but also completely switch off at times when they, when they play against, um, quote unquote, smaller opponents in the Bundesliga. Um, that's not players that I signed. Um, so, you know, it's, it, there's always two sides to every story. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to come on to this next point because, uh, I'm, I'm not going to try and say this word, but <laughs> outside appearances will work for me. Yeah. The Germans call this Außendarstellung, um, and it's one of those terms that get, um, happily thrown around at Bayern Munich. Um, it, it, 
it does translate into outside appearances, but it means more than that. Um, in this case, I think the club was really unhappy with the sort of brand that Julian Nagelsmann tried to build for himself. Um, the, 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 the way his appearances were, um, then there was this whole story with um, the comments made um, last season about the, uh, the the firefighters, the volunteer firefighters, right? Um, then there was the 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 fact that he made Antonio Conte really angry with the hurricane comments. Um, then he said something about Barcelona during the summer as well that um, the the club bosses then had to sort of fix. And um, you know, even though they agreed with him, they didn't want him to speak about that the public. Um, another big one was the that he. he <laughs> He had the, has this relationship with this build reporter who used mm-hmm. to be a build reporter uh, reporting on Bayern Munich and then was swiftly moved to writing about the Munich police the moment they started dating, right? But like at the same time, you have a build reporter literally in your bed. And <laughs> <laughs> that is something that the club didn't like because there was a, a certain amount of leaks about this, the squad and the, the tactics and all that sort of stuff. And uh, I don't want to say that his partner was the one that leaked it and because he very much says it wasn't the case, but, you know, they didn't like all of that. And then they didn't like, he just, they didn't like the way he was just very, very outspoken, um, which the flip side of that is, of course, now they're getting Thomas Tuchel, who isn't going to be any better in this regard, yeah. right? <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's um, that is definitely a point that the Bayern camp made over and over again. Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's a young guy, right? And this is yeah. a this is a new modern manager. You know, was he thirty five? Exactly. He's yeah. a skateboarding, tabloid loving uh, modern man, right? And he, yeah. he he dresses differently. He's got different opinions to to the or traditional manager of Bayern Munich mm. would have had, right? So they they kind of took a risk in the first place by going down this route. So they can't be totally surprised. No, no, they knew exactly what they what they were getting, right? Um, you just need to look at what um, the way he conducted himself in Hoffenheim or the way he conducted him in Leipzig. Um, I think at Leipzig you get away with it um, quite a bit because it is a shrill club, right? It's a Red Bull branded club and um, they want that sort of outside appearance. They're very much okay with it because they want to attract a certain brand of young people mm-hmm. um, yeah. to their club and to the to Red Bull in general. So they were totally okay with it, but at Bayern Munich, um, they wanted something, I guess, more statesman-like, but then maybe don't go out and sign a 34-year-old who's now 35, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And it's not hugely surprising that someone in their mid-30s might change partners either. Um, of course, it's unfortunate that this person uh, works for Bill, but <laughs> I mean... Yeah. That's how, that's how it goes sometimes. We, yeah. we can't really um, dictate how people want to behave. But I think there's a certain element at Bayern Munich that didn't think um, that those appearances were the way you're supposed to conduct yourself as a Bayern coach. And they, of course, point at um, people like Pep Guardiola or Jupp Heynckes or Ottmar Hitzfeld, right, um, that were almost my statesman. Um, and even in defeat would be able to conduct himself in a very professional manner and uh, they they just didn't see that with Nagelsmann and I mean then again we have to talk about both sides Nagelsmann's camp has pointed out well then don't go and hire 34 year olds yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) if they didn't see this coming it's a bit of a bizarre bizarre we took a risk by bringing Jack on board to this podcast but we knew what we were getting into yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, it, this this is this is a point that they have floated around, right, and very much pointed to. Um, but again, I guess it's kind of like when you when you go in a relationship with someone, you hope you can just change them, um, and then after twenty years of marriage, or in this case, after eighteen months, you realize no, you can't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, start with them. Start with. Them. Does this does this kind of feed into the next point, Manuel? In terms of the mm-hmm. dressing room buying in, obviously, there's a lot of players in this dressing room who've been there for a long time. You know, Manuel Neuer, obviously, but also Kimmich, and and there's a few more kind of older heads, if you will, mm-hmm. within this camp. Are they going to be looking at that? And, and is part of the reason this buy-in didn't get in is because they have 
you know, been here under Hansi Flick. They have been here, here under Pep Guardiola and they're seeing something that's completely different in this regard. Yeah, so like, this is this is a tricky one because like usually um, the the Bayern bosses were saying, well, he lost the dressing room, um, which is a very they said in German had the Kabine verloren, um, right? Um, which then one of the German newspapers, Süddeutsche Zeitung, translated and he lost the cabin, <laughs> and we we know this term of course um, quite well from American sports, losing the dressing room. That's what they meant, right? Yeah. Um, the fact is here that I think he's never lost the dressing room and they was just, he just didn't convince certain players that, that he was the right coach for the club or right, the right coach, not for the club, but for them, um, which I think is a really big difference, right? Um, to say that, okay, well, he didn't convince, he, he lost the dressing room rather than saying, well, he didn't, he didn't Never convince get certain players, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought what was really interesting that this list of players that he that were against him included someone like Jamal Musiala. Um, on the other hand, Joshua Kimmich came out during the national team break and voiced his surprise about this change um, that Bayern Munich sacked a coach out of well, what he described out of nowhere, and that he thinks that Nagelsmann was one of his top three coaches ever easy, right? And this is a quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this is, again, something where certain elements of the dressing room, okay, they weren't weren't happy. I mean, the, the big one here is Manuel Neuer and uh, his, the Jan Ulreich, the two goalkeepers, because um, Nagelsmann literally fired um, their body <laughs> yeah. had uh, goalkeeper coach Tapalovic, right? Who both Neuer, Neuer in particular, is really, really close with. Um, but the, the Bayern bosses backed that decision. They yeah. were the ones that said, "Yeah, let's do that and bring in this new coach um, who was one of the best goalkeeper coaches in, in Germany. Let's do that." And they even paid a fee to Hoffenheim to get him. Um, but so there were elements in this dressing room that had a problem with Julian Nagelsmann. But I think what was more interesting is the amount of players that were very pro Nagelsmann. And that's Govetska, Kimmich, um, De Ligt, Pavard, Upamecano. You know, that's that's a lot of big name players. Um, so they say, yeah, he lost elements of the dressing room or maybe never convinced him in the first place. But at the same time, I, I find this story, it is, when you look at the flip side of it, it's also not really convincing me either. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, where does Thomas Müller fit into this? Because he feels yeah. like one of the major voices. Obviously, they, his nickname is, is Radio Müller. And, <laughs> and and all of that kind of involved, he feels like one of the, you know, I think that's it. If you can, if you can convince Müller, and we saw this, obviously, when Hansi Flick came in, you know, yeah. it brought him back on side and suddenly everything started to go right again. You know, it feels mm-hmm. like Müller, Kimmich and Neuer are, are the three kind of big guns in this room. And if, if one of them is outspoken, you're, and if two of them are outspoken, you're in trouble. Yes, yeah, so Thomas Müller reportedly is neutral on all of this. Um, <laughs> what a lovely stance to have. <laughs> it's um, it, it's really hard to read him in this situation. I mean, he is he's the coach's killer. Um, you know, when you upset Thomas Müller, the Christmas tree is definitely on fire at the Sebener Straße. Um, you know, you definitely know you're in a lot of trouble as a head coach the moment you upset him. Um, it's really interesting. I've been recently to Munich and um, Thomas Müller was actually made himself available in in the mixed zone, which is rare. Um, famously, he either walks with his cell phone or whatever, mm. whatever else object he finds in his pocket that holds yeah. that to his head <laughs> to get through, get through the mixed zone quickly. Yeah. Um, and he seemed actually quite content with everything. Um, which is rare, which is also probably why he spoke to us, despite actually having picked up an injury in this particular game. Um, so I don't actually think he was against Julian Nagelsmann, but it was also one of those things where he was probably said like, yeah, I don't mind him. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't love the guy, but I don't mind him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to be honest, maybe, yeah, maybe that's what takes you on to number one and the fact that Tuchel's available because I, I imagine yeah. Muller is very in favour of now having Thomas Tuchel um, to win um, a Bundesliga and a Champions League. 
Well, I think this is the, the you're quite right. This is the big point. Um, and I think that's actually the point that leads all the other points are just justifications. Mm -hmm. But that Thomas Tuchel was available right now at this very moment. And they could do this either now or never. Um, that I think was ultimately why they did it. Mm. Um, they were told by the Tuchel camp that if they want to sign Thomas Tuchel, they have to do it now because he's going to go to another club. Um, whether that's what was Real Madrid, um, whether it was Tottenham or maybe even a return to Chelsea, we don't know, but in two weeks time, he would have been gone. And um, the Bayern bosses knew this. And Thomas Tuchel was living in Munich already, right? And I think that they thought, okay, well, if you already have sort of a tendency towards, and um, I was told yesterday by a source that I really trust, that they were already unhappy before the World Cup with Nagelsmann, mm. and that they were going to make this change anyways in the summer, Thomas Tuchel is available right now. Let's do it. Mm. That was the thinking here. I mean, I, I suppose it makes sense in, in that regard. Yeah. I mean, look, Tuchel, what's the sentiment like in, in German football? Is this move heralded as a strong one? Because I think his reputation in England stylistically is perhaps mm -hmm. very different to what it is in Germany. His his BBB side were a very different prospect to what he put together at Chelsea. And is that mm -hmm. a sense of maybe his tactical flexibility with differing squads rather than within the same squad? Is that something the Bayern are buying into? Yeah, he's very pragmatic, isn't he? The, the turnaround at Chelsea was remarkable um, that he came in and then won the Champions League with a squad really that was in transition at the time. And then I think that was a, that was a really, really remarkable performance and Bayern, the Bayern bosses know this. And then of course, if you walk into the dressing room um, as a Champions League winner at Bayern Munich, you have a very different sort of response from, from this, from the squad than you would have if you, a young coach who has won nothing right yeah. um and i think that is that is a big one um right there and of course at psg he he managed to convince a dressing room that's very difficult um you know he sort of arranged himself with killian mbappe who um, is psg he's the equivalent of thomas muller uh, even more powerful right because he he literally has the the power to make decisions thomas muller mm -hmm. just tells his opinion and that opinion has a huge and it, weight. And it gets followed, yeah. Yeah, and it gets followed. <laughs> but Mbappe literally has like th that power, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so he had these people on board and in Chelsea the same way. I mean, um, that's that dressing room at, at Chelsea, the one of the most difficult ones to manage in European football. And he did so quite well. In fact, I think when he left, I think a lot of the players were actually quite unhappy. Um, and I think the Bayern bosses know all that and they said, if someone can put the squad together and give, give him give them a jewel quickly um, and secure our goals. And I think they also looked at this Man City uh, fixture in the Champions League and they know that Thomas Tuchel has been a difficult opponent for Pep Guardiola. Yeah. I think they looked at all that and said, let's do this. Yeah. Um, just looking finally, really, as, as this side now evolves under Tuchel. I mean, look, Muller is 33 now. Um, yeah. Lewandowski is gone. Talk obviously has been over the past year that ideally to kind of replace those two, you'd look towards Harry Kane as the main striker mm -hmm. and Kai Havertz has been linked as as the Thomas uh, Muller kind of replacement. I mean, how do you view the possibilities of both of those and how do you think this team evolves? Yeah, so I'm not sure that they're going to get Kai Havertz as the Muller replacement. And I think they don't need to because they have Jamal Musiala, right? Yeah. Who can was already slotting into that role, um, so I think for Thomas Tuchel is is just the the most important part to replace Müller is to keep Musiala's development going and um, keep him on that path to become one of the best players, maybe even the best player in the world. Um, the number nine role is is going to be fascinating to watch. I think that um, if Harry Kane gives them a signal that he is available. They're going to do it. Um, I mean, they have been quite outspoken about this. This is not insider reporting here, right? They they have been they've been quite 
outspoken about the fact that they would like to do it. And I think this is all depending on whether Harry Kane wants to do it as well. Um, the moment Harry Kane gives Bayern a signal that he is willing to do it, they're going to do it. Um, which, of course, would be, I think, something that Tuchel would love because he didn't even have that at Chelsea. That pronounced number nine striker, right, that can really fill fill that role. Um, and I think that would be really fascinating to see how how that would shape the squad. But that's not the only two, two key ones. Um, Manuel Neuer is going to be an interesting one to watch as well. Because he has a very complicated, complicated break in his leg. Um, he has had um, two metastasal fractures already, right? So he's, he's already going in into this injury um, in a difficult position in terms of his health. And I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch whether he actually can come back and regain his form because he's going to be, I think he's going to be close to 38 when he comes back. Um, or going into a season where he will turn 38. Um, yeah. let's, let's phrase it that way. And we know from goalkeepers that their recovery process is a bit longer. The last time he had a big injury that took him out for a year, it took him almost a year to regain the form that he had previously, right? Mm. Um, so I think that is actually a really big one to watch because Neuer is also, of course, um, a titan in, in the Bayern Munich hierarchy. And the way to navigate that, I think, once Neuer is back, is, is also going to be one of the big tasks that Thomas Tuchel will face. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, final question from me. If Tuchel doesn't win the Bundesliga, is there going to mm. be throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Because I feel like there's a little bit of that with Nagelsmann <laughs> already, right? So we're already in yeah. that kind of territory. So if this has been brought in as a recovery moment, it's a, you know, a band-aid over the wound a little bit in, in some ways. If it does actually go wrong and there's no trophies or, or it's just a, a, you know, it's just a, a Pokal for Bayern this season, are they going to look to change again in the summer or is this something that you see as more of a long-termer? Yeah, so Oliver Kahn, and, and I think this was one of the smartest things he said at the press conference, um, is that this wasn't about just this year, but this was also about next year's goals. So that gives them sort of a protection, right? Um, because they can just say, and this is what a source said to me, um, an internal source said to me, oh, look, if this goes wrong, they can just blame it on Nagelsmann. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of course, ruthless, absolutely ruthless. But, you know, this is how this business goes. And yeah. um, I, that's exactly what they're going to do. If this goes wrong and said, well, Thomas Tuchel was given, uh, was given a task that was very difficult and, you know, he was hired. Let's say they lose to Dortmund. Then it becomes really difficult for them to win the title, I think. Yeah. And then they would just say, well, he never had the time to turn this around before the Dortmund game. So that's a really easy fix. Yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. It's going to be very interesting to see how it develops over the course of this season. But for now, mm -hmm. just a massive thank you, Manuel, for, for joining us. Where can our listeners find you and, and listen to you talking about German football? So yeah, my main job is with Transfermarkt, um, but um, my Transfermarkt colleague and I, Stefan Bienkowski, we also run the game pressing uh, newsletter, which um, is on Substack, and we do four podcasts a week um, on German football. Um, two of them are available for free for everyone, so you can get them wherever you listen to your podcasts, and then two of them are behind the pay paywall. Um, and then both of us also do a newsletter um, once a week as well um on German football so this is the game pressing on Substack. um other than that yeah i also cover the bundesliga for forbes i do um 10 articles a month for them um and then of course i cover everything all the big news um, in international football for, for transfermarkt so you can always check it out there it's a it's a great database we got we got everything about football that you need to know. So yeah, we live on that yeah. website, mate. We always yeah. spend half our life on that. <laughs> everyone, everyone does. Even before I worked there, like yeah. I don't think I spent much more time now on Transfermarkt than I did before. <laughs> <working> <laughs> uh, Manuel, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, it was fantastic. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to Ranks FC and thank you so much for Manuel for joining us. That was incredibly enlightening. We have a wee tale to give you here, a couple of bits the Dean wants to address. So I'm just going to hand the floor. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Craig McPherson. The women's old firm derby 
ended with McPherson, a Rangers coach, headbutting the Celtic manager, Fran Alonso. So to put some context to this, Celtic had scored a very, very late equaliser um, and the game ended 1-1. But afterwards, obviously tensions were high. As the teams and officials were, were shaking hands, maybe having a few words with each other, Alonso is walking across the pitch and shaking someone's hand. McPherson storms up behind him and headbutts him in the back of the head. <laughs> it's absolutely pathetic behaviour. It really transcends the normal melon stuff, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, um, almost, it's almost too serious to be a melon. It's like, I mean, it's not a hard, hard headbutt. Like he wasn't going to crack his skull open. Which makes it even more pathetic, really. He couldn't contain himself. You know, when some men just can't contain themselves. He can't do that. He's getting across the pitch and he head comes back. Bosh. Uh, Alonso turned around almost like, what was that? Uh, to be fair, he was quite diplomatic about it afterwards. Yeah, he spoke um, really well, I thought. spoke really well about it, um, the, the Celtic boss. He said, look, it's frustration. It's not how I would show frustration, but it is what it was. And I understand what happened. This is football. These are emotions. It wasn't much. I felt a little bit of contact. Then I heard him calling me a little rat. Uh, it's obviously disappointing to concede a goal in the last minute. I totally get it. A little bit patronising there, but lovely stuff, really, from Alonso. That's how you dig back at someone. That will make him even more angry. Yeah. He needs a melon to, like, squeeze this guy. He likes a melon as, like, a stress like ball. A stress I mean, ball. That's what he needs. <laughs> stress yeah. melon. A stress um, melon. God, what a stress head. Like, come on, Craig. Lighten up, mate. You can't go headbutting people. No, not okay. Not okay. Mm. Big old melon. Right. What about shout out of the week, Dean? Well, actually, the rank squad, you lot are melons of the week. I didn't get any reviews coming in in the last week from any of you. What's going on? None. It is rubbish. Um, you are all melons. I'm not happy with it. I've got to be honest. It's made me pretty sad. There are thousands of people that listen to this podcast and not one of you could be asked to go and give us a five-star review and get to write a few words. <laughs> I have been grateful for the, for the influx of them since we started this segment. I thought you were enjoying it. I thought like the odd readout of your name might be something, something to make you giggle on the train or on the bus or at school or college, wherever you are. Apparently not. If you don't want this segment to continue, we'll go. I'll get my coat. <laughs> we'll just be, we'll be canning it. Can't get. <laughs> okay. All if right. you want it to continue, come on. I'll, I'll let I'll let this roll on again. Please go and give us a five star review. Don't upset me. Yeah, Dean. You don't want to make Dean sad. Get over no, there on iTunes. I'm a happy give guy. Gives a gives a review. Gives a review. All right. All right. <laughs> Talking of nonsense, gibberish. Alarm. And we've got a special one that we've come up with on the spot, Dean. Literally, I've just come up with it um, because Sam's not here today, um, as you've noticed. I don't think we actually addressed it at the top of the show today, did we? We didn't, but, no. um, We just said you're here and then we cracked uh, on. I'm sure people have probably noticed uh, over the course of the last hour that, that Sam hasn't said a word because he's not here. Um, he's cried off uh, ill. Um, and on the back of that, we decided we're going to rank Sam's top three illnesses that we could think of for missing the pod. In the last six uh, months. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, one of them isn't in the last six months, a bit further back. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's still making it. Um, so let's run through them because um, at number three, I just had to search for this one on my, on my WhatsApp because I did remember it happening. Uh, it, was, it was when Sam had a case of the sneezes. Um, it was October 21. And... Um, he sent a message on the 27th of October and he says, uh, it's, it appears I'm coming down with what, what Dean had on Monday. And I replied, oh, it's the super cold that is sweeping Britain. Welcome. He said, it doesn't get too bad, does it? I've done nothing but sneeze for four hours. <laughs> four hours. Four hours of sneezes. Um, anyway, later that night, he tells us it's got way worse. And the next day, the text arrived going to give today a miss i'm pretty contagious so do you remember that one jack do you remember yeah, i think we were live score at the time miss uh, yeah that was a that was the sake of the sneezes that's what it was the sake of case of the sneezes yeah so so that's that's going at three <laughs> i'd love to see sam's face while he's listening to this and do you remember this one jack at number two 
Sam thought he had food poisoning. This one hasn't actually that long ago. This is only a couple of months back. Do you remember? Yes, I do. I remember this was this is exceptional because he was so sad about the food poisoning because he was like, it's our favorite Indian restaurant. And now we're going to find it very difficult to go back. And then it turned out not to be food poisoning, didn't it? Yeah, it was called a denovirus, wasn't it? Sam was on rehydration treatment, which you said at the time felt like a pretty uh, extreme reaction to a chicken coma. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly he's in hospital on death's door, it seemed, because he'd had a bad chicken coma. Mm. A few dodgy nuns. Yeah, oh, poor old Sam, adenovirus. He struggled with that one. That was bad. He did struggle. That, that was, was a actually bad one. tough one. Um, yeah, but actually, done for a little while. I think, I think the number one has to be today because I never got. I woke up to a message today that said, "Sorry, lads, my throat is sliced to pieces." That sounds like fatal. That sounds fatal. Sliced, sliced throat. It feels like something out of Game of Thrones. Like... It's like Rachel's done him in the night. <laughs> my throat. He had warned to... us. Yeah, he'd warned us that this was coming. She'd been ill, that it done a number on his throat last night. Um, see how he's doing, but yeah, it was sliced this morning. That that is it's because um, you told him to gargle salt water all the way through I did. the night. Oh, so, so maybe stay up all salt, night and gargle salt water. You'll be the fine. Salt has sliced his throat. Yes, indeed. Anyway, get well soon, Sammy. We hope that you are back. He's all right, though, because he's just texted us his holiday dates. <laughs> <laughs> While we were recording, he's just texted us his holiday dates. It's always good to get the admin in when you're not feeling well. So he's well, getting better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, indeed. Get well soon, Sam. Get well soon, Sammy. Right, and on that note, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. Uh, all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Manuel once again for joining us. Please do go give him a follow on Twitter, a brilliant follow, and someone who should be keeping an eye on for all things German football. Thank you so much to our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC and we will be back next week with our Champions League preview show. So that's exciting. We're talking all things Champions League quarterfinals, all things Europa League and all things Europa Conference League as well. There's plenty to get our teeth into next week and we're going to be doing it all here on the main feed. Thank you so much for listening as ever, Rank Squad, and we will see you very, very shortly. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and... The chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.